Let's praise the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. He's worthy to be praised. Amen. Go with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 8. Ezekiel, chapter number 8. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord and thankful that you are here and all of the folks that are in all the classes that are taking place around the property. We're so thankful that they are here. We are in a, our third lesson on prayer. If you missed the first two, you can go back a few weeks. The first one was on uh, relational prayer, and then we did one on praying in the Holy Ghost. And then tonight we're going to talk about the ministry of intercession, the ministry of intercession. Remember the weekend services, 845, Difference Makers, prayer at 930, church at 10. We have be free at 5 and then prayer at 6 and church at 6.30. Ezekiel chapter number 8. Ezekiel chapter number 8. If you found it, say amen. amen. In verse number 16. The Bible says, And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about... Five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they worshiped the sun toward the east and then he said unto me hast thou seen this O son of man is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here for they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare. Neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them? That's a, a quite a heavy passage of Scripture there. A lot of judgment in that passage of Scripture, but that's where we're going to start tonight. Lord, I thank you, God, for the people that have come together and those that are watching online. I thank you for all of our children, our juniors and young people, oh God, that are in their classes as well as our grow classes. I pray, God, that you would anoint every teacher and every student anywhere on our property. And, God, I pray that you would help me tonight to deliver to this church, God, this lesson on intercessory prayer. I pray for your anointing in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. The eighth chapter of Ezekiel paints a very dark and depressing picture of God's people. These were the people who had been taught how to worship. They had been taught how to seek God. They were the people that knew about his mercy and his grace. They knew his power, his majesty. This was God's house and these were his people. If anyone in the world should have known how to appreciate and interact with the presence of God. It should have been what was called by this passage, the house of Judah, the people of the tribe of praise. But then the Bible said in verse number 16 of Ezekiel chapter 8, it said, he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. The temple had an inner court and an outer court. Collectively, the inner court and outer court represented the presence of God. It was the place where God met with and the people met with him. It was the psalmist that understood the value of the privilege of the courts of the house of God. Psalms 84 and 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day 
in the presence of God is better than a thousand days anywhere else. His courts are beyond comparison to anything in the world. Next to his presence, everything else pales. One day in his presence is better than a thousand days in the most exclusive vacation place in the world. One day in his presence is better than a thousand days at the beach. Better than 10 million days at the beach, but that's my personal opinion. One day in his presence is better than a thousand days doing anything else. I like the way the psalmist said it, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand, a thousand anything, everything. He makes the comparison, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. And we put that, we put that phrase in context to how we have ushers in the church. But this is a lot different than that. The person who was the doorkeeper in the house of God was the one that was responsible to make sure that everyone that came into the house of God was following the law. In other words, it was his job to make sure that all the males that came in were circumcised. It was the worst job in the church. And, and I know it sounds funny, but I'm not trying to be funny. It really was the worst job in the church. What he's saying is I'd rather have the worst job in the entire church than to have the best job anywhere else. Because one day in your courts is better than a thousand. He, he said the, that the Lord, Ezekiel said the Lord brought me to the inner court. The inner court was the place where the glory of God would come down. It was the closest you could have gotten to God at that time in history. Now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Ghost in us. But in those days, the closest you could get to the presence of God was the inner court. He said, the Lord brought me to the inner court, to the very place where the glory of God came down, where what the Bible called the Shekinah glory of God came. He said, and while I, I went to the door of the inner court, he said, I looked and standing between the porch and the altar were about 25 men. They were between the porch and the altar. The porch was a place of singing and worship. The porch was where they celebrated. The altar was where they sacrificed. The porch was where they felt the love of the presence of God when they would worship and praise him. But the altar was where they would bring a sacrifice. They had 25 men at this place that the Bible said they were between the porch and the altar. They had gotten past worship, but they stopped short of sacrifice. They wanted, they had gone past the porch and the altar where they sang, or past the porch where they, where they sang and worshiped God, where they felt his glory and his presence. They loved the feeling of his presence, but when they got past the place of praise and it became time for sacrifice, they stopped between the porch and the altar. They didn't want to sacrifice. They didn't want to change anything. They didn't want to give anything at the altar. And so these 25 men had advanced past the, uh, past the place, past the porch, the place of worship, but they stopped short of the place of sacrifice. And when they saw that it was time for sacrifice, the Bible said that they turned their faces, they turned their backs on the house of God and turned their faces towards the east. They weren't fine with the porch but they weren't fine with the altar. They had gone past the porch, but when it came time to change something in their own life, time to sacrifice something, they stopped 
And the Bible said they turned their back on the house of God and they faced towards the east. Interesting passage of scripture. It was significant because the east was where the sunrise came from. And the Bible said that they worshiped the sun towards the east. While standing in the house of God, they adopted the form of worship from the idol worshipers in the city around them. They began to turn and worship the sun while standing in the house of God. The Bible said in verse number 18, he said unto me, the, the prophet said, the Lord said to me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing for the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? They're standing in the house of God. They're here in the inner court of the house of God. And while here, they're worshiping the sun god from outside. It's an amazing thing that they would be standing in the house of God but turn their back on God and face towards the east and begin to worship the sun god. He said, is it a light thing that they commit these abominations? I'm going to tell you, when we come to the house of God, God expects us to worship him. God doesn't want to share his people with the world. What was happening in this situation is they had adopted the form of worship of the world. They were worshiping the sun in the east. But here's what the Bible went on to say. They have filled the land with violence. That word violence in, in the original, it actually means with unjust gain or cruelty, injustice, unrighteousness. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical violence like fighting and war, but it's, it's just anything that is unjust. He said, and they have returned to provoke me to anger. He said, they go out in the world and they sin and then they come to the house of God just to make me mad. And it has this phrase, lo, they put the branch to their nose. That is an obscure phrase. It appears, according to most uh, Bible scholars that I read, that this was a reference to a style of worship familiar to the sun worshipers. They would take a branch or a stick off a living tree, and they would hold it in front of their face as they would as they would worship the sun god. So here are these people, they came to the house of God, and while in the house of God, they actually are adopting a form of worship of the world. They're taking something that the sun worshipers would do and tried to, and, and tried to do it for God, basically telling God, we're going to do what we want and you're going to like it. We'll worship the way we want to worship and you'll just like the way we do it. Well, God was angry about that. And so the Bible said they had committed the abominations in the house of God. And in verse 18, he said, therefore, since they've done this, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to deal in fury. That word fury means hot displeasure, indignation, rage, anger, poison. My eyes, will not, my eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. Though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. They can, they can do all they want, but I've had all of them that I can take. The question is, why did God tell this to Ezekiel? Why would God tell Ezekiel, okay, I'm done with mercy. I'm, I'm through with these people. I've had all of them I can take. It's my opinion that the reason that God told Ezekiel was he was inviting Ezekiel into the equation so that Ezekiel could make a difference in what was getting ready to happen. Amen. So here's what the Bible said happened in Ezekiel chapter number 9. If you have a Bible and you want to follow these four verses, these four verses are very critical. It says, he cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them with clothes, was clothed with linen, with the rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. Almost all Bible scholars agree that these are angels with 
weapons to destroy. He was sending angels to destroy these people that had committed such atrocities. And he has a man clothed in white with an ink horn by his side. And he goes in and they stand by the altar and here's what the Bible says. And the glory of the Lord was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called the man clothed in linen which had a rider's ink horn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. In the face of judgment, God sends an angel and he says, I want you to put a mark on everyone who's willing to intercede on behalf of these people that have committed such idolatry. I want you to put a mark on people that will sigh and cry over the abominations of Israel. Not over the ones that gather around and talk about the people that are doing it and say, I wish God would just kill them all. But he said, I want you to mark the ones that are weeping over the sin that's going on among God's people. I want you to put a mark on the people who are weeping and crying about the things that are going on in the city and in the house of God. God says, I'm going to judge them, but if somebody will pray on their behalf, I might be convinced to hold back the judgment. So God says, I want you to put a mark on all the people that are willing to intercede. And then the next verses say, and I, I didn't give the next verse to, the, to the, the people in the back, but the next verses say that uh, I want you to start at the, at the house of God, start at the altar. And everyone that does not have the mark, I want you to destroy them. But don't you destroy an intercessor. I'm going to tell you, God can do without a lot of things. But one thing that God says I can't do without, I need people that are willing to pray. You can do what you want to all the other folks, but don't bring judgment. Don't harm an intercessor. I'm telling you, God is looking for people who will be intercessors. The word intercessor in the Hebrew means to encounter. It means to fall upon. When you think about this, this, this phrase, to fall upon, it is to cover with yourself. Let's say somebody, that, that, that a building, let's say you're in a building and it's collapsing and you're there with your wife or your child. It's the act of covering them with your body. So you take the pain and you take the, 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 the injury in hopes of protecting somebody else. It's the, the intercession is to fall on somebody. It's to cover somebody. It's the act of putting yourself between somebody else and danger. It's positioning yourself between somebody and their trouble or trial. An intercessor puts themselves between somebody and God's wrath, between somebody and the enemy. You make yourself a shield for them against the enemy or against judgment. You position yourself between that person and what the enemy's trying to do to destroy them. You make yourself someone that gets between somebody and God and says, God, don't, don't destroy them. God, give them mercy. God, give them grace. Or you put yourself between somebody and the devil and, says, De and say, devil, get your hands off of them. Get your hands out of their life. An intercessor is somebody that intercedes for somebody else. The New Testament word mirrors the Hebrew word. When you take up the ministry of intercession, what you're really doing is participating in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7 and 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. When you intercede for somebody, what you're doing is you're positioning yourself 
and saying, God, I want you to help this person. God, I want you to save this person. And what you're doing is what the exact thing that Jesus is doing for us right now, intercession. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. You know, sometimes I, I, I tease that, that uh, you know, when you say you'll pray for somebody, I, I tell, I've told the story before how I had a pastor somewhere out in, in, the, in the barren parts of West Texas one time ask me to come take the church that he had. When I, I, this was when I was in my 20s. And I told him I'd pray about it, but I knew I didn't want to go. So when I prayed, I said, God, please don't make me go there. But I did pray. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we pray witchcraft prayers on people. I didn't get any amens. When, when we're angry at them, we say, God, get them. God, get them what they deserve. And what we're doing is we're really almost taking the place of the devil. The devil don't have to do anything because we're praying it for him. Everybody take a big gulp, it'll be okay. God's looking for people that are willing to say, God, don't. You know what Stephen prayed when the people were stoning him? They were throwing rocks at him. He said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Even his dying breath was prayers of intercession for the people that were actually killing him. Ian Bounds, great Methodist preacher of the 1800s, a, a, a mighty writer of prayer, he said, quote, God shapes the world by prayer. And the more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. Dr. J. Edwin Orr, a scholar of revivals, he said after an extensive research session, summarized his findings about how revival happens. And he said, quote, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. There has never, never is a mighty, a mighty strong word, isn't it? You know, they said never say never. He said there has never been a spiritual awakening in a country or locality that did not begin in prayer. Every Christian should pray, say prayers of intercession. I read one time where I think the, the, I think the statistic was 80% of the prayers that are, are spoke of in the Bible are prayers of intercession, prayers on behalf of someone else. I wonder if, if that should tell us how many of our prayers ought to be prayers for self or prayers for someone else. Every Christian should pray intercessory prayers. Every Christian ought to love somebody enough to pray for them. Amen. But there are some that are gifted with intercession, intercessory prayer. I remember back when I was youth pastor, we went to um, we went to a revival. Brother Jason Cisco was preaching a revival in Memphis, and we took a youth group up there. and uh, And during that revival, he prayed over one of our young people. He called her out, and he laid hands on her, and he prayed for her, and uh, and and he told her that she had the the ministry of intercession, and. Uh, Man, she just cried and squalled and talked in tongues. And then on the van ride home, she said, what's intercession? And so we have to be careful that when we use terms, that we define terms. We don't, if we use terms that we don't define, then the enemy can define them for us. And so when we're talking about intercession, what I'm talking about is praying for someone. Either praying for God to bless someone or praying to God that the enemy will release someone. And so every prayer, every Christian should pray prayers of intercession. The church is God's instrument in the earth. Amen. I believe in the power of the church. I believe that when God's people pray, things change. Amen. The body of Christ is responsible for evangelism, for worship for equipping people for compassion for justice 
But nothing we do in all these areas will have any impact apart from how we pray. God's role for his church is to pray. The ministry of intercession. Intercession is the key to seeing breakthroughs in your life and in the lives of those around you. Intercessory prayer doesn't give up. It's the kind of prayer that endures setbacks and overcomes obstacles. It's the kind of prayer that presses on until we come into God's will, whatever situation we're facing. Characteristics of the intercessor. I'm going to talk for a little while about some characteristics of the intercessor. The intercessor sees and hears things. Through, sees things through God's eyes and hears things from God. It's different than seeing the world with our eyes. When I look at somebody with my eyes, I kind of think sometimes they get what they deserve. When I look at them through God's eyes, if, if God said that about, about us, none of us would get anywhere with him. When we see through God's eyes, what we're saying is, God, don't give them what they deserve. Give them grace. Give them deliverance. Give them help. An intercessor sees people the way God sees them, not, as, not through their sin, but as they could be. And only when we're able to see the world like God sees it will we get a burden for intercessory prayer. God is not willing that any should perish. I hope to God that you don't hate anybody. I hope there's no one in this room that hates someone. But I'm going to tell you, the person, if there is someone that hates somebody, the person you hate, God loves them. And God doesn't want them to be lost. The Bible said that God is not willing that any should perish. And so the person you dislike the most might ought to be the person we should be praying for the most. We see a, an intercessor sees people through God's eyes. Number two, an intercessor is somebody that can be emotionally broken before God. That they can feel about people how God feels about people. I remember one time I was preaching in, in uh, West Monroe, Louisiana. I was probably 19 years old, maybe 20. And, uh, and, and I... I wanted, I, for some reason, I, I felt like, God, I want to feel about people the way you feel. And so for weeks and weeks, every day when I'd pray, I, when I evangelize, I'd go over the church during the morning and I'd pray. And, uh, and, ev and for weeks, all around the country, I'd prayed, God, let me feel about people like you feel about people. And I prayed it week after week after week. And I was in the church in West Monroe and I was in the building by myself and I prayed, God, let me feel about people the way you feel about people. And then I had the most overwhelming sadness and sorrow come over me, like unbearable sadness and sorrow. And I knew that how God feels about lost people is sadness and sorrow. Not anger, sadness and sorrow. After about 10 minutes of the most depressing Sadness that I'd ever felt in my life. I said, God, please take this away because I'm, I'm not equipped to deal with that kind of emotion. But an intercessor is somebody that's willing to feel about somebody how God feels about them. Intercessors don't use God for their own benefit when they pray, but they allow God to use them for his benefit or the benefit of others. Intercessors become God's channels of blessings to others. Abraham was called of God not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing. Intercessors are called to lead a disciplined and holy life. They don't want something in their life to interrupt or taint the prayer that somebody needs them to pray. Intercessors are givers of their time because they know that time and prayer is what it takes to change people's lives. Intercessors change the mind of God. Moses changed the mind of God. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 32, God said, Moses, I'm tired of these people. 
They've backslid so much. They've made so many mistakes. I'm tired of them. Moses, I'm going to kill them all and start over with you. And here's what Moses said, Exodus 32 and 12. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief did God bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Man, that's a bold man. God, don't, don't do that. Change your mind, God. I know you said you're going to kill him, but God, don't do that. He told God to repent. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self. If you're not going to do it for these folks, God, do it for their ancestors. And said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed. God, you made a promise to these people, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The value of an intercessor. An intercessor can change God's mind. Amen. Look at verse 31 and 32 of the same chapter. Let, let me, I didn't, give, I didn't give them verse 30. Let me read 30 to you. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You've sinned a great sin. And now I will go up before the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. He said, You've sinned and now I've got to go before God on your behalf. Here's what he tells the Lord. Verse 31 and 32. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, block me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. God, if you're not going to save them, don't save me either. Man, a man, he's putting himself on the line right here. He's putting himself on the line. An intercessor can change the mind of God, but you want to live the kind of life that God don't say, okay. An intercessor is dedicated. An intercessor must be committed to the task of intercession for others. There is no substitute for dedication. You can't give up. You've got to keep praying. Philip Brooks once said, if a man, if man is man and God is God, to live without prayer is not merely an awful thing, it's a foolish thing. You have to be reliable. It's not our ability that, God's look, that God looks for, it's our availability. Paul Rader said, if you can beat the devil, if you can beat the devil in the matter of regular daily prayer, you can beat him anywhere. Boy, I like that quote. If you can beat the devil in the matter of regular daily prayer, you can beat him anywhere. In other words, if you'll get a daily prayer life, you can beat the devil in any area of your life. Mr. Rader didn't stop there. He said, if your day is hemmed with prayer, it's less likely to become unraveled. He said, if you can beat the devil in the matter of regular prayer, you can beat him anywhere. But if he can beat you there, he can beat you anywhere. Folks, we need to be people of prayer. We need to be disciplined. An intercessor will not be successful without being disciplined in prayer. I've read a story about a, a, a man that went to visit a pottery workshop. And in one of the rooms, there was this massive clay on a table next to the workman. And the workman ever so often would, would get a large mallet and he would, he would beat that clay. He would just hit the clay several times. And then he'd put the mallet down and go about his business and do something else. And then, and then after a little while longer, he'd come back and pick up the hammer and he'd beat the clay. 
and then he'd go about his business and do something else, and he'd come back and he would beat the clay, and, and the visitor couldn't make sense of paying somebody to hammer clay. And so he asked the question, why do you do that? And the potter said, wait a bit, just watch, and maybe you'll see. And so the visitor stood there quietly, and the man kept beating the clay, and then eventually he watched as bubbles formed on the surface of the clay, and the bubbles popped, and the air came out. And the potter said, see, I can't shape the clay into a vase if the air bubbles are in it. And sometimes you have to just get some stuff out. He said, you can't rush every process. I'm going to tell you, there's some things that it's going to take a while to pray it out of somebody. You have to be willing to spend time regularly, disciplined, consistent, reliably, dependably in prayer. You can't just break chains that have taken generations to get on families. You can't just break them with one two-minute prayer. you got to be consistent in intercession. When God lays somebody on your heart, you don't give up until God relieves you of that burden. When you intercede, what you're doing is you're helping God mold somebody into a vessel of honor. And your prayers are the hammer that appears to be wasting time and effort. But at some point, there's going to be a transformation that's going to happen. But you can't get weary and give up. You've got to keep on going until your job as the intercessor is done. Let me give you what I think may be the most important quality of an intercessor. An intercessor has to be a team player. An intercessor has to be a team player. To be honest, in our generation, intercessory prayer is almost a lost art. Thankfully, there's people that understand how to pray. Often an intercessor works in solitude without any recognition. We have instrumentals, we have song services, we have praise teams, we have choirs, we have preachers and teachers. But we don't ever have anyone come up and say, just lay on the floor and intercede for a while in front of everybody. An intercessor works in solitude often in the middle of the night when everybody else is asleep. Sometimes in lonely prayer rooms when nobody else is in the building. When no one hears, sees, or knows. They never get a hand clap like the singer does at the end of their song. They never get an amen like the preacher does when he makes a fiery point. No one taps their foot to the intercessor's voice like they do to the musician's beat. But the intercessor is a team player. They know their work must be done so the sinner, singer's song can move the heart and the preacher's message can touch the sinner. An intercessor understands their value is to the team. They're often never up front. They're often never known. But the things they do in silence, they do for the kingdom, not for the recognition. And so to be an intercessor, you have to be willing to be alone. You have to be willing to be unheralded and unknown. You have to be willing at 2 a.m. When, when the clock seems like it's not moving and you can't get back to sleep because somebody's on your heart, you have to be willing to know that what you do in solitude and silence makes a difference for the whole kingdom and for the team. An intercessor must be a team player and know that what they do may never be known or recognized, but it's just as important to the kingdom of God as anything else that we do. An intercessor has to be a studier of the Bible. An intercessor has to study the Bible because it's the power of the word that breaks yokes of bondage and sets people free. An intercessor doesn't know, that doesn't know the word, can't pray the word over somebody's life. Even Jesus used the word against the devil. And so to be an intercessor, you need to be solid in the word of God. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter number 12. I'm not going to be too much longer, I don't believe. Acts chapter number 12 is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. 
I've preached a whole lot of sermons from this passage. The Bible said in verse number 1, if you found Acts 12 and 1, say amen. amen. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. The enemy has attacked God's people. There are people in the church that the enemy has put his sights on. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So here Herod has decided, I'm going to destroy the church. He kills James with the sword, and he saw that it pleased the Jews. You need to be careful doing stuff that makes ungodly people happy. Amen. The Bible said that he sought that he took Peter also. And verse 4, when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. That means there were 16 soldiers guarding this one preacher, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But notice this phrase. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. But prayer was made without ceasing. I'm going to tell you, folks, if you're going to be an intercessor, you can't give up in prayer. No matter how impossible it looks. He put Peter in prison. He kept him under guard. After Easter, I'm going to bring him forth. I don't know how long exactly he was in prison, but I know one thing. It was execution eve. And the church was still praying. What if they would have given up? What if they would have stopped? What if they would have said, it's impossible? Well, it's too late. We prayed all this time and nothing happened. He's dying in the morning. We, we, we just, we're not going to be able to make a difference. But the church always believes they can make a difference. Until it's over, the church can always make a difference. When it looks impossible, you've got to believe your prayers can make a difference, even at the eve of destruction. Amen. Amen. Sister Peggy, I want to tell you something after church. I, I told the church a couple of Sundays ago, I had a dream about people coming from all over and there was one specific thing in that dream that I saw that I'm just telling you don't you quit praying because if what I saw in my dream if it's God something's going to change an intercessor never gives up until it's over it's not over Woo, praise God I feel the Holy Ghost here right now amen here it is. He's been in prison under guard. Sixteen soldiers have been in prison under guard. And it looked like it was impossible. They're killing him in the morning. But the Bible said that the church was still in prayer. If you really want to be the church in 2022, you've got to believe that your prayers can make a difference. And you've got to pray like they make a difference. Amen. And so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the keeper before the door, the keepers before the door kept the prison. Woo, praise God. Hallelujah. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. Let me tell you, the church praying, I think it was in Mary's house, the mother of John, the church that was praying down the street had no idea that while they were praying, there's an angel moving in the prison. They couldn't see it happening. But just because you can't see it happen doesn't mean that something supernatural is not going on. You keep praying and believing God because for all you know, there's an angel getting ready to go into a prison somewhere and shake somebody loose. Woo, 
praise God. Man, I feel, I feel an anointing for prayer coming on somebody here tonight. Amen. While the church is praying and Peter is between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison, it looks like there is no hope for survival. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, shined a light, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Praise God. Aren't you glad there was a church in Acts chapter number 12 that knew how to intercede and pray and not give up and not give up and not give up? I'm going to tell you, I'm trying to encourage somebody that you feel like you prayed a long time and it looks like nothing's going to change. Don't you give up praying. Keep on praying. God's looking for an intercessor. God's looking for an intercessor. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I'm, 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 trying, to, I'm trying to bring this in to close. Psalms 28, 1 and 2. I'm talking specifically to people who have, are carrying burdens in intercession, that there's a heavy burden on your heart for somebody, for something, and you feel the weight of this burden continuously. Psalms 28, 1 and 2, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock, be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. God, I need you to talk to me. I need you to talk to me, God. Hear, my, hear the voice of my supplications. When I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle, God, hear me when I pray. Let me tell you that the burden, when you get a burden of intercession, when, some, when God lays somebody on your heart, we call it a burden. When the burden of intercession comes on you, it very often feels like depression. It's a very melancholy, heavy weight. Those of you that have felt it before, you know what I'm talking about. It feels like I've, I've had people, I've had people tell me, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I, I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong. I feel like I'm, like, like I'm just under this dark cloud all the time. The person who stays in intercession fights emotional struggles. David said, "I will cry, O Lord, my rock." I'm in another place, he said, I pour out my soul like water. But David knew that to stay consistent and faithful in intercession, that he also had to find a time to refuel his spirit. Intercessory prayer is the pouring out of the soul to God on behalf of someone else or over something. I have... I have some people that are very concerned about what's going on in Ukraine. When I was in Russia a couple of years ago teaching, we had students from the Ukraine that were in the Bible college uh, for that session. And, uh, and man, I keep thinking about them. I don't know where they're at in Ukraine. I don't know what their situation is, but I keep thinking about them. I had someone in our church call me this morning, and they have a burden for this conflict that's going on. They, I don't know that they know anybody there but they have this burden for it. I'm going to tell you, when you get under the burden for somebody, when the God lays somebody or something on your heart and you feel the burden, it feels like depression. It feels like a dark cloud. You can't get it off your mind. It's something that you just keep worrying about and worrying about. David said, when I, he said, I pour my soul out to you, Lord, and hear my cry. But he knew that at some point, he had to make a transition because you can only give until you're empty and then you can't give anymore. And so often the Bible calls it the burden of the Lord because intercessors are sensitive people. They are people that have gone to God and say, God, I allow you to let me feel the burden for somebody else. God has wired intercessors to feel people's burdens. And so they pick up on things. And those things that you pick up about people are promptings to pray. But this same sensitivity to people's needs can create confusion and depression if you don't understand what's happening. 
You can think there's something wrong with you or that or your walk with God, even though you know you're living right. You feel, sometimes you feel condemnation and fear and depression and discouragement. But you may not be feeling what you're going through. You're feeling what somebody else is going through. I remember one time, man, it was years ago, I was single. So it was before I was, I got married at 23, so it was before that. And uh, man, every time I got around somebody, I felt this emotion. That's not typically my emotion. It's not something I typically feel. Um, and every time I got around this specific person, I kept feeling this way. And so I was talking with Brother Matthew Ball, and we were actually in the, the Knoxville church late at night praying. We were there for Christian school competition. Brother Ball was married to a girl out of the Knoxville church, and I was single, and there was a lot of girls there. So I was hoping to intercede one of them. But uh, every time I got around this one individual that was also there, I, I kept, and, and I kept sense. And so I finally said, man, I don't know what's going on, but I feel this. And, and he said, what you're feeling is, is their emotion, not yours. He said, you're under, you're under a burden for them. You're dealing with the spirit that they are dealing with. And so he, it helped me know how to pray. And so sometimes if you're not careful, the burden that you feel for someone else will make you feel like there's something wrong with you. But you have to learn that when you go in these times of intercession, now, if you're an intercessor, you know what I'm talking about is true. If you've really battled an intercession, you know how heavy a burden it can be and how depressing it can feel if you carry it for a long time. Do I have any intercessors that just wave your hand at me and say, I know what you're talking about? Let me tell you, let me give you a secret in prayer. When you have a, a session of intercessory prayer and you are, are pouring your soul out before God, before you leave that prayer time, you must make time for worship. You have to shift your focus from the burden to worship. Amen. Because you have to get some, you have to be refilled before you go again. Psalms 28, 6 and 7, same passage after David talked about pouring his soul out. And God, hear me when I cry. He ends, he, he, he ends this particular part of the psalm by saying, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. And so if you're making notes, either on your phone or on a notepad or in your Bible, I want you to make a note to yourself. If you're not making notes, make it mentally. But I want you to make a note that when you get under a burden of intercessory prayer, before you leave that season of prayer, you make sure that you stop and you thank the Lord and you worship him. Because if you don't, you're going to fail that cloud and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get discouraged and you're not going to want to go back and intercede because you don't want to feel that way all the time. And so you must take these moments. We must honor God's sacred trust. When he shares a burden with us, we have to honor that sacred trust and obey. Everything God speaks to the intercessor is not something that needs to be repeated to somebody else. Amen. If God lays somebody on your heart, maybe it's somebody in the church and you feel like they're battling with some kind of a sin or temptation, and God shares that with you in prayer, that doesn't mean you're supposed to go tell 20 people, hey, so-and-so, I think they're doing this. It means you're supposed to pray about it. And you're just supposed to pray about it. Don't let your burden in prayer become an opportunity for gossip. Because God won't trust you with another burden for somebody else. And so we hold it as a sacred trust. The prayer burden is something that God trusts us with. And so the Bible says, first of all, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks should be made for all men. I'm going to tell you, everybody in this world deserves somebody to pray for them. Amen. If you go back with me. And I'm closing with this. If you go back with me to where we started in Ezekiel chapter number 8, you have a people that have literally turned their back on God. 
And while standing in the house of God, they were worshiping the sun and they're holding the branch, this form of worship in front of their face in the very house of God. And God says, I'm through with them. I won't have pity. I'm going to deal with my fury. That's how I'm going to handle these people. And then Ezekiel, the very next chapter, he says, God says, I want you to mark the people that are willing to pray for these people that are committing abominations. Can I tell you something? I get really angry about what happens in our world. Killing millions of babies a year and calling it a medical procedure when it's murder. Passing laws that glorify all kinds of perversion. Politicians taking abominable sides that are so against God and the word of God and against the church and all the stuff and the junk that's on the media these days and all of that. Man, it makes me, it fires me up. It makes me so mad that I've gotten to the point where I have to stay away from even listening or watching or, or, or reading it hardly because it gets me so aggravated. I gotta be careful that when I pray, I don't say, God, they deserve your wrath to come down on them. Because in, Gen in, in Ezekiel chapter 8, those people deserved the wrath of God. But in Ezekiel chapter 9, God said, I want you to mark the ones that will pray for them. Mark the ones that sigh and cry over the abominations that be committed. God, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up intercessors in Bethlehem Church. God, that will pray for mercy and grace and salvation, not for wrath and judgment and destruction. God, help us to pray with faith that our prayers can make a difference. Help us, O oh God, to understand that you have positioned the church, not in the world to be judgment against the world, but in the world to be intercessors. God, there are people in our community that tonight are high as they can be, or drunk as they can be, or violent as they can be. But God, someday they're going to be in this church if we'll pray. Help us, God, to be intercessors. Help us, God, to have the ministry of intercession. Help us, God, to lay ourselves over somebody that's lost and hurting, but in prayer, God, that we position ourselves to intercede on their behalf, God. There's a whole revival in this community and the surrounding communities just waiting for it to be prayed into the church. God, there's lost loved ones, lost children, lost parents, lost brothers, lost sisters, Cousins, aunts, uncles, neighbors. And God, those people must be prayed for. Raise up intercessors. Mark people that sigh and cry. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I, I stopped my timer so what I'm getting ready to tell you doesn't count against me. You know, Bishop Wilson, one of the things that, that for the last few years I've thought I would love to have is a group of people that, uh, that, that we had a prayer room, not, not necessarily one that people are going all the way through like on Sunday morning, but, but you know how powerful it would be if we had a group of people that every Sunday while we were in here singing and, and worshiping and preaching that there was a, a, a handful of people that were not, not talking to each other but interceding for the, the lost folks that are in here. And on Sunday night while we're having, having church that there's a... Not, not the same people all the time because everybody needs church, but that we had a group of people that said, you know what, I'll be an intercessor. Pastor, while you're praying, while you're preaching, I'll be in there crying and I'll be talking to God and believing God to move. What do you think would happen in people's lives being delivered if we had teams of intercessors? That every time when somebody walked through those doors of the church, that somewhere in this building somebody was praying for that person that doesn't even know. Amen. Intercessors. God, raise up intercessors in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name. Don't forget, men, there's a meeting in the new building in just a few moments if you want to be part of helping get the, we're, we're going to get started on some things to, uh, to get going on our, our new building project, praise the Lord.